Well, hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of In With The Old. We are a podcast focused on dispelling myths, building appreciation for God's Word, and rediscovering the Old Testament for the life of faith. I'm Dr. Tim Howe, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Brian Koning. Dr. Brian, how are you doing today? Tim, I'm doing really well, and I'm excited for today's episode because we're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to me, near and dear to you. We're talking about the prophets, and so I think this is going to be a fun and engaging uh, episode. We were talking ahead of time and going, yes, I'm ready to get into the content, so uh, let's go. I'm excited for this. Yeah, me too, and uh, and the reason we're excited is because the Old Testament prophets— uh, are are still loved and, and talked about and, and in some ways feared as we read the prophets. There's a lot of, you know, details and, and kind of apocalyptic language. Uh, but when it comes to prophets, let, let's kind of talk, because this is the series on myths and mistakes. Let's talk about the prophets in terms of uh, how we are supposed to read them, but approaching it from the standpoint of the mistakes that we often make. So, Dr. Brian, can you just situate that for us? What are some mistakes that we make as we think about prophets? First, what is a prophet? What isn't a prophet? And how can we read these texts uh, with understanding, not making some mistakes that many people make? Yeah, so the biggest issue we have is that we come from a different cultural background. And so I love fantasy writing, if I'm going to be reading in my <laughs> spare time, right? Um, Lord of the Rings, uh, I'll keep it right Christian safe, Lord of the Rings. But uh, in, in fantasy, there's always prophets, right? And there's these oracles usually that guide our hero or heroine to uh, some quest that they're supposed to go on, right? And, and these oracles are given by prophets, and they're speaking about the future, when we talk about prophets in an American, a Western context, we often think of people who do focus on the future or tell you your fortune or things like that. Mm-hmm. Almost nothing could be further from the truth, though, when we're dealing with Old Testament prophets. That's not what they mean. And yet we just hear that term and we just assume, oh, prophets, they talk about the future and maybe they're mm-hmm. kind of fortune tellers for hire. And so that's the myth I think is just common and, and comes from just our culture, colors our interpretation. And so we go, well, hey, we know what this term means. And don't actually go and say, hey, how did the prophets function in the Old Testament? So what is a prophet in the Old Testament? Well, the most basic definition is simply someone who speaks on the behalf of another. Now, that might sound like an odd or an overly simplistic definition. And to be sure, we can add some depth to it. But for example, Aaron is called a prophet of Moses. Why? Well, because in the beginning, right, Moses said, well, I, I, I don't talk good, God. Please have someone else talk for me. <laughs> and, and so God's like, well, okay, fine. I'll give you your brother. He is your prophet, your mouthpiece, someone that's going to speak for you. If we want to put a little more depth on this, uh, we can go beyond that to go, the biblical prophet is someone who speaks for God. And I have a quote here. Um, this work comes from Johannes Lindblom, and he has a book called Prophecy in Ancient Israel, Quite technical, but quite, uh, I found enlightening during my dissertation work. And here's how he defined what a prophet is. He says, the prophet does not philosophize. He does not muse or speculate. His privilege is to receive, to receive thoughts, visions, and words as wonderful gifts from heaven. The prophet is, in short, a proclaimer of divine revelations. 
So I, I really like that definition because I think that pushes us to the heart of what we're going to see in the Old Testament prophets, right? All the way from Moses through the minor prophets. These are people who have received divine revelation from God. It is their privilege to receive it and then give it back out to the people under their charge. So I think that's a good starting point in our minds. We're not going to necessarily be talking about people that deal with the future, although we're going to address how that comes into play here, but someone who has received divine revelation from God and is going to speak on his behalf. So I think that will start us with our definition. Dr. Tim, maybe where are some of the key components or key attributes then that we see from the prophetic class? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Brian, and and a good segue because the the big kind of banner mistake that that we want to bust and and help people to overcome is this number one: Old Testament prophets focused on foretelling, not foretelling, and and again, that is the myth, uh, and and I think I think it's also true, Brian. When we think of the word prophesy, like in English, that word almost primarily focuses on the future. Yeah. We would just almost refer to that as a synonym of, of future telling. To prophesy is to tell the future. Um, and I think there might be some just kind of uh, lingering residue of, uh, of popular texts and, and books about prophecies in our culture. For instance, in times, we tend to associate that with the prophets. Um, and so it, it's kind of like we look at something that might be 10% of what the prophets actually do. The prophets do mm -hmm. tell the future. There are prophets who, who look forward and give visions of the future. That's part of it. Uh, but what we're arguing is that's not the main part of it. And in modern culture, we kind of take 10% of what the prophets do and make it 90%. And then we t take the other 10% and say, well, that's kind of, you know, uh, their side job. And we say it's exactly the opposite. The primary role of the prophet was to speak on behalf of God. Most often, the prophet would speak uh, to the king or the people, uh, but he would always speak the word that was given to him. Uh, and that leads us to number two. The prophets had an awareness that their lives were not their own. And, and this is the double-edged sword of the office of prophet, uh, because we might think, well, that's romantic, right? You know, these are the people who are commissioned by God and, and people like Isaiah or Jeremiah, they have these incredible uh, kind of visionary moments of being called by God. Uh, but for the most part, the prophets, uh, it wasn't as though they saw this as a romantic kind of gig. It was literally God expecting them to give up their rights, their prerogatives, uh, their own desires. And rather, God said, essentially, you belong to me. Uh, and, and I think about this, uh, for instance, Jeremiah 16, God commands Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, you cannot marry. And Jeremiah, you can't even attend funerals. Uh, why? Because as part of God's message of judgment, he wanted Jeremiah to, to really embody the message. Uh, so Jeremiah, don't marry anyone from this sinful people. Why? Because then you'll have kids and the kids will be destroyed. I don't want that. And also don't participate even in mourning for these people because they're in abject rebellion. And so they, their lives were absolutely not their own. We see that uh, with uh Gomer and Hosea as well, and many examples of the prophets really giving up every prerogative they have to God. And then three, their words carried creative and effective power for a true prophet spoke the words of Yahweh. And, and this is where one of the things that we have to get straight immediately when it comes to the prophets 
is the prophets were speaking their own words, or we could say they're speaking with their own mouths, uh, but the ownership of those words was not their own. They were seen as intermediaries. They were seen as representatives of God to the people. And so they spoke with authority, which is why they would say, right, the prophetic formula, thus says the Lord. They weren't mm-hmm. speaking for themselves, and to the extent that they did speak for themselves, uh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 18 that if they spoke for themselves uh, and they were found to be false prophets, that they were to be killed, right? That Why? Because speaking falsely for Yahweh was a, a deep offense. And so their words carried power, but it's because their words were truly the words of God. Um, so those are just a, a few things as, as we kind of understand the prophets, understand what they were about. Uh, we have to get in mind, they were standing before the people declaring the words of God. Yes, at times God declared the future to his people, but most of the time the prophets were actually giving uh, kind of up to the minute advice and, and commands based on the actions that were going on around them at the time. They were giving God's immediate message to the people for that particular moment. Yeah, I think that's those three ideas are very important for us because they help us get to why prophets function the way they do, why they had the role they had in society. Yes, they talked about the future, but it's in service of dealing with the present, of calling the people, calling the king to this action or that action. Um, they were a people that we definitely should not romanticize, right? Uh, I, I'm thinking of the fact that, oh, this sounds like an office, it might be cool. But Tim, most of the prophets are not popular. Uh, And this might sound odd, listeners, but the greatest prophet, at least traditionally in Jewish thought, is Moses. And and we'll talk a little bit about why Moses is a prophet, maybe, because he's not in our section that we list as a prophet. But if you think of someone who speaks the words of God to the people, someone whose life is not his own, but is following a calling, and whose words have power— Moses is the epitome of all those, right? He didn't rely on oracles, but he rather spoke to God face to face. Uh, We see at the end of Deuteronomy, there's never arisen a prophet like Moses, uh, the book concludes with. But Moses is not a popular guy in his culture, is he? (laughs) We can think of Jeremiah is not a popular figure. If you think being a prophet's cool, go reread Jonah. Jonah did Mm. not have a good time of it. I mean, depending on how you want to read that book, he actually dies and has to be brought back to life, depending on how you view the in the belly of the whale thing. Um, mm-hmm. The prophets were kind of these representatives of Yahweh, and the people understood that because they often were calling the people to account for their sins. They definitely had to operate in this kind of outsider position. They were not. If you see a prophet roll into town, it's probably trouble because God is going to call you to account and call you back. And if you don't listen, there might be calamity coming upon you. When I think of that, Brian, what's so fascinating is the prophets had this mantle, right, where they spoke truth to power. Uh, and that's how God designed it all the way from Moses when there is no kingship and therefore the the prophet really played an outsized role uh, because there is no no king and there is no kind of balancing of power. But as we look through the scriptures, what's fascinating is how that prophetic role really kind of morphs mm. uh, and adjusts based on the situation so that eventually when you have, say, Samuel, who is a seer, which is another name for prophet, and he, eventually he's called a prophet, uh, he has to stand up against Saul knowing that it could cost him his life. 
Yeah. Or, or the same thing with Jeremiah or the same thing with many of the other prophets. They understand uh, that when they're going to proclaim the word of God, they are going to proclaim uh, often God's judgment against people who they, they have they have all power seemingly from an mm-hmm. earthly perspective. Uh, and, and so there was a courage uh, to being a prophet where you had to say, I am going to fear God more than I fear man. And that became more and more true uh, as the history of Israel unfolds and especially as the monarchs arose and then evil monarchs arose. So it was it was a very, very, uh, it was a very, very difficult job uh, at the best of times. And at the worst of times, you might be thrown into a pit and left to die. Or you might be sawn in half or, you you know, you might be beheaded as John the Baptist found out. And so the prophets, uh, the prophets had an incredibly important job, but it was also a dangerous job. Yeah. And, And just to push it further, the prophets don't just come down out of heaven and like this immaculate conception. They had friends, they had family at times that they are having to proclaim against, right? And Mm -hmm. denounce. And so, yeah, they have this kind of very difficult mantle that they pick up. And yet they do from the earliest times of Israel, if we're considering Moses a prophet, right at the founding of them as a a nation state at Sinai, um, through the end of the Old Testament. Now, we, if we have these three kind of guiding principles, Tim, of what a prophet is, we should also then disclaim some things that don't define what a prophet is, right? And, and so one thing that maybe in our minds we think a prophet is is someone who wrote down their oracles or wrote down their books, but that doesn't define a prophet. Moses is considered a prophet, and you can go, okay, he probably wrote – and maybe we'll talk about this in an episode, Moses's relation to the Pentateuch and its writing. But what about Elijah? What about Elisha? Here are prophets that clearly do not write down anything, and yet they doesn't determine their mantle of being a prophet. Similarly, social standing does not seem to make someone a prophet. Some prophets seem to be attached uh, to the Levitical priesthood or to the temple. Others, like Amos, are a shepherd and a fig picker. Have to say that one carefully, uh, right? <laughs> Amos, uh, Tim, you put this in our nose, right? Amos didn't even want the job. <laughs> either. Uh, And there you see that kind of awareness that their lives are not their own. Maybe surprisingly to our listeners, gender does not define what a prophet is. In the Old Testament, we have five women that are called prophets. And you can find them as uh, Miriam in Exodus 15.20, Deborah in Judges 4.4, Huldah in 2 Kings 22.14, and 2 Chronicles 34.22, Noadia in Nehemiah 6.14, and the unnamed prophetess of Isaiah 8.3. Even in the New Testament, right, we have Philip who uh, and his four daughters who had prophecy in Acts 21.9. Obviously, maybe there's some little differences there, but the general idea is this was not necessarily a gendered position, at least maybe to the extent that we often think of it in just our common discussions. Um, other things that didn't define what a prophet was, the type of ministry. You have some prophets who are bringing oracles to the king directly. Think of Samuel. He deals primarily with the kings, uh, first Saul and then David, Um, whereas you have other prophets who are speaking to the people. You have Jeremiah who's speaking against the temple. You have Jonah, who we've already mentioned, right, who goes running away, but who is sent to a foreign nation, not even the people of Israel or Judah. And then lastly, as the episode title indicates, just because someone speaks about the future does not necessarily make them a prophet. 
stealing a little bit of our thunder, but we'll get into this. Daniel is never called a prophet in the Old Testament. And so our biggest uh, oracle of the future, as it were, in terms of Old Testament writing, is never once actually called a prophet. And the reason being is because just because you talk about the future doesn't actually mean you're functioning as this kind of prophetic mantle. So those are some things that we need to be aware of that don't define what a prophet is, right, Tim? What else would you add to that list, or how would you maybe modify that list? Yeah, I, I love each one of those, uh, partly because we we have to recognize when we come to the text, when we hear the word prophet, we have some kind of image that comes to our mind. And so what we're about on this podcast is, okay, taking those pre-understandings, whether it's from Sunday school or whether, it, whether it's from popular culture or whatever it might be, and to let those things uh, be sharpened by the text itself. Um, so we could even say that most of the prophets, uh, even that we see in scripture, were not writing prophets. Uh, they likely spoke oracles to particular situations, uh, but their writings weren't preserved. Of course, we do have in scripture the major prophets where we have a lot of their writings that have been preserved, uh, but we have to recognize that just wasn't usually part of the job description. And by the way, the we know that. Why? Because the Bible talks about there being schools of prophets, right? Mm -hmm. uh, prophets and sons of prophets. Uh, but relatively speaking, we know of few of those. And in uh, the writings we have, of course, we believe are given by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but as we think of prophets, most of the prophets were not writing prophets. Uh, same thing, and, and I think just to hammer on this point again, whether it's gender or social standing or even the type of ministry, to be a prophet was to accept a, a life that was abandoned in terms of your own desires, dreams, uh, and, and people knew that. that There was a reason uh, that Jeremiah said, God, please, don't don't make me do this. Or even Moses, yeah, God, yeah. choose someone else. Um, and and there was a wrestling with that. But of course, ultimately, God's promise to the prophets was, uh, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be there with you, even as I'm sending you as my earthly, invisible ad, uh, emissary. I'm going to walk with you in front of Pharaoh. I'm going to go mm -hmm. with you before the king. Um, and of course, th this is what I love about the prophets too. There are some amazing stories of uh, the miracles of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. uh, when we think of miracles in the Old Testament, they almost always center around a prophetic figure. And at least part of the reason for that is, is that God used miracles. And here I'm thinking, say, about Moses or Elijah or Elisha, that God would use miracles to really validate the ministry of the prophet. So that it's not just, I'm telling you what's going to happen. That miracle then shows that that prophet really truly is uh, an emissary or a messenger of God. And I think that actually helps us in the New Testament as we think about the ministry of Christ. Uh, that the people of Israel, when they looked at Jesus, the first thing they would have thought of was, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Why? He's often, because, he's often confused as one, right? Aren't you a prophet? Yeah, yeah. right. Aren't you Jeremiah or one of the other prophets who's risen from the dead? But the fascinating thing about Jesus, and this is just something to, to think about as we kind of turn to the New Testament or consider it for a moment, is even as Jesus came proclaiming the words of God, he never felt the need to say, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus creating a Ooh, yeah. distance between himself and God. He just immediately said, here are my words, and these are the words that are true. In fact, with the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said by Moses the prophet, but, but I'm going to clarify. To yeah, yeah, but I say to you. 
And so he, he, and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they understood what he was doing. He was claiming an authority that was greater than mm-hmm. even the prophets of the Old Testament. Um, and so that's another example of how understanding uh, the Old Testament actually helps us understand the New Testament better. Um, so, Brian, I love those lists. And, uh, and I do want to say this, too. When we think about the prophets speaking about the future, one thing we have to remember is the prophets were constantly trying to call the people of Israel back into covenant faithfulness with God. Right. That means that they proclaimed, hey, if you don't repent, if you don't turn, this is what will happen to you. In other words, it's not predicting the future as in, you know, in a vacuum of, oh, I'm going into this weird trance and I'm telling you something that's going to happen hundreds of years from now that has nothing to do. No, it was telling them, if you don't repent, here's what your future looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, a a little bit like a parent taking their child aside and saying, hey, if you keep on behaving this way or going down this path, let's fast forward the tape and see where it leads you. And so the prophets would pick up, especially the language of Deuteronomy, and they'd say, if you continue on uh, rebelling against God, God's already told you how this story ends, and it won't end well for you. Uh, But Brian, that gets us kind of to the purpose of prophecy, uh, Mm -hmm. which is, of course, not just to kind of bloody up the people who are hearing it, but rather to lead them to repentance. So Brian, maybe you could talk about that a little bit of, of why the prophets spoke as they did. What were they doing when they proclaimed these oracles? Yeah, that's a great question because I think that that helps us focus and helps us kind of put all these disparate ideas we're, we're playing with together. God desires his people to be in right relationship with him. Right. We, we've talked about the angry God, of the Old Testament, how that's a myth. He is the patient God, the loving God who wants his people to be doing the right things so that he may bless them. The prophets are in service of that function. They are calling the people back to these right ways, right ways of living, right ways of being. And at times, and for all of us that have been parents, we recognize there are times where you have to get your kids attention and the prophets are not afraid to through signs or through right dire uh, foretellings of the future to go, (laughs) look, here's what's going to happen if you don't shape up. But here's the key point. Tim, you just brought up a very good point that miracles in the Old Testament often are there not just because God likes showing off, but because they're a perfect validation that, hey, this person is from God, right? They aren't just a charlatan. Similarly, I think we can often see when the future is brought up in their oracles, it is doing the same thing. It is either there to warn of a fate that will come to pass unless the people change, or sometimes it's just simply, hey, I'm making this prediction so that you will know when it comes true, I was a prophet. I'm thinking of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is told to write his vision down so that the one who is running fast may still be able to read it. Make it plain. Why? Because when it happens, people will know that I am the Lord, that I spoke through you, that these words I gave are true, and I wanted you back. Uh, One of the fascinating things is the prophets were generally kind of viewed as these, maybe hateful is the wrong word, but right, you weren't happy when a prophet rolled into town, and yet they are signs of a God who is pursuing his people, who's saying, I don't want to send you into exile. I don't want to enact the curses of Deuteronomy. I want to start with the blessings. There's a reason in the book of Deuteronomy I listed out the blessings first before the curses. 
but I am the just God. I am patient, but my patience is not limitless. And so the prophets are sent by God so that his people would avoid judgment. And, and we can see that even echoed in the life of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus, why did he come? Well, he came to give life and give it abundantly. Uh, Abide in me that your joy may be made full. Jesus didn't come necessarily as uh, the doom and gloom judgment, but as a, I am warning you of your choices. If you turn your back on God, there are consequences for this. I've come to actually die in your place. I've come to be the sacrifice for sin. Yeah. Come in while um, I'm thinking of the author of Hebrews. When he says, well, today is still called today. Let us enter into that rest of God. Pulling from a lot of these ideas, right, of Jesus's ministry, of the prophet's ministry, of God seeking his people. Um, and, and then the choice being placed before the people. Who will you serve? So I think that maybe, at least in my mind, Tim, gives us to kind of like the purpose of the prophecies. A warning and a call back that proves that God is a God who loves and is seeking after his people. What do you think when you think of the prophecies uh, and their purpose in the Old Testament. Well, I I totally agree. And the only thing I'll briefly add is it, it's always amazing to me. Uh, God didn't have to send prophets. The fact that yeah. he did shows his loving heart. If God just wanted to blast his people, or if God wanted to just blast us, or or we could be more tactful and say, you know, force us to pay the price of our sins or, or give us our just desserts or whatever. Uh, he didn't have to send those prophets. And, and when we look at the prophets, again, as we mentioned in our episode about the angry God, the prophets, because of their access to God, because they knew his heart, because they understood he sent them in order to lead people to repentance, uh, they were actually concerned that God was too merciful and too kind. Uh, and, uh, and I think of, you know, John three seventeen. we know John three sixteen well, but John three seventeen says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but instead to forgive the world. Yeah. Uh, which is of course, speaking of the role of Jesus as the ultimate prophet who doesn't just speak the message of God, but is the very word of God. Um, so Brian, as we come to the end of the episode, you mentioned this earlier. Uh, let's talk about an enigma for a minute, something that's kind of fun to end. Uh, what about Daniel? Uh, you mentioned that the second half of the book of Daniel gives us some of the most absolutely detailed prophecies uh, that you can imagine, giving specifics of empires and names and people. And, and as you read through the second half of the book of Daniel, it's all in the form of horns and rams and, and mm -hmm. all of these visions. But those prophecies correspond in detail to real events that happened uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of Daniel and his time. Uh, so much so that most secular scholars, in fact, all secular scholars would look at that and say, this had to have been prophecy written after the fact. It couldn't possibly have been predicted beforehand. Uh, and yet Daniel is never described in the Old Testament as a prophet. And even the book of Daniel, you know, this is not included in the prophets. It's included in the writings in the Hebrew yeah. Bible. So what do we do with that, Brian? What do we do with Daniel? Oh, so Daniel is one of those fascinating <laughs> kind of quirks, right? Because if there's any figure in the Old Testament that fits our general understanding of what a prophet is in our culture, it's Daniel. But he's the one that's not a prophet. Um, so, yeah, as Tim just said, when we look at the Hebrew ordering of Scripture, there are three sections. There's the Torah, the Nebaim, or the prophets, and the Ketuvim, or the writings. 
Daniel is part of the Ketuvim, the writings. He is never once uh, called a Navi or a prophet anywhere in the Old Testament. Judaism to this day, when it lists like the prophets of the faith, Daniel is not included. So, yeah, it's a bit of a quirk. Now, we do have, and Tim and I were talking about this before we started the podcast, and here's maybe a little peek behind the curtain, that we're still learning. We still have questions. So in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus refers to, as is said in Daniel the prophet. He uses the standard Greek term for prophet. It's the only time in all of the Bible Daniel's called a prophet. Jesus calls him one. It's not from the Old Testament. I don't know why Jesus called him a prophet. Um, and so I'll just be very honest. That's an interesting quirk <laughs> I'm still digging into. But at least from an Old Testament perspective, he has a lot of the hallmarks of a prophet. So you can see he has a prophetic-like calling. You could compare like Ezra 2.1 and Ezra's calling to Daniel 10.11. You have some of those parallels. You have definitely an awareness that his life is not his own in some sense, right? He goes through uh, a fair amount of things in the first half of his book, which is the recording of his life. We have miracles that happen to, uh, at least within the book, you could think of, uh, I think of VeggieTales, Rakshak and Benny, right? Rather than Shadrach, <laughs> Meshach and Abednego. Um, and, and yet he is not so much concerned with forthtelling. He is in a foreign land. The people he's advising are not Jewish by and large, right? He's advising kings, but not Jewish kings. And so there's there's a lot of these quirks that I think go, he's outside of the prototypical mold. To be completely fair, we've already mentioned, being a prophet was a surrendering of the self to God's will. And because of that, we do see a wide variety in how the prophets serve God and their ministry. So does Daniel fit some of the qualifications or some of the what we'd expect of a prophet? Yes. The same time, he's never called one, at least in the Old Testament. And uh, I, I would say for us, that's a helpful reminder. Daniel's talking about the future and has some really important points in the meta narrative of, of Scripture and understanding God's revelation. And yet he is less significant for the immediate life of the people of God, whereas the prophets almost always were we're here to change the people we are talking to right now. And our prophecies are still going to have enduring effect, but right, we're dealing with the people right here, right now. Daniel's a bit more forward-looking. So still a important book, but does, at least in my mind, uh, I'm okay going, yeah, he kind of falls outside of what I'd expect a prophet to be. So just kind of an odd quirk. Uh, so those are my thoughts. Tim, what, what, what are you thinking? Yeah, I... I uh on the same trajectory there. It, it may be one of those cases, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, Daniel might be a prophet. And of course, uh, we are going to agree with Jesus. Uh, but it's yeah. it's also interesting. Uh, it, it's interesting because these kinds of questions really do make us think. And that's why they're helpful. It's not just trying to to determine what label applies to Daniel, but it really does help us think about what is a prophet, what isn't a prophet. And, uh, and as we look at Daniel, of course, Daniel is a man of God, but is it possible for someone to be a man of God and not even be labeled that? Maybe Jesus knew the Old Testament, didn't use that language and, and gave him that honorary title. Um, or it could be that he was a prophet of God in a non-technical sense, uh, in the sense of someone who spoke for him, but didn't necessarily hold that office in Israel, because of course, there's no monarchy, the nation's in exile at the time. Uh, and so in one sense, uh, that was an age where prophecy uh, was at least 
not as readily available. And eventually it went to a time of, of silence after uh, the closing of the Old Testament. So and we don't know. Yeah, we'd also we also just to add in, we'd have to wrestle with the idea that what does a prophet mean as filtered through a Greco-Roman world rather than yeah. an ancient Israelite world? Maybe that term means different. Part of uh, Tim, I think, what both of you and I are kind of like, huh, this is odd. We obviously are going to agree with Jesus, um, right. and we're trying to go like, <laughs> what do you mean by that? Because Jesus clearly knows Daniel's never called a prophet and not included in mm-hmm. that section. Um, so this is part of the beauty, though, uh, just as a side tangent, this is part of the beauty, I think, of the Old Testament of studying scripture. There are always more questions. I always love telling yeah. my students, you're going to come to class with questions. We're going to answer them and give you even better questions to keep you up at night. <laughs> and that keeps me engaged and that keeps me excited. Yeah. Um, so sorry, just a little sidebar. Uh, back to you, Tim. Yeah, well... Thank you, Dr. Brian. And uh, as we close today, I want to just give some uh, brief reading tips, uh, because especially as we read through the major prophets, those are such large portions of scripture that uh, first, we want you to get into the text. We say that often, get into the text, read it for yourself. But one thing to remember is, especially with the chapter and verse divisions that we have uh, in our modern Bible translations, Uh, they really do kind of uh, dissect those oracles in ways that are kind of unhelpful. So uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of people read, say, a chapter a day or two chapters a day. Well, there might be a particular oracle or proclamation that might be six or seven chapters. And here's what we would encourage you to do. Try to read those um, as they were intended to be read or as they were intended to be heard. In other words, try to read those in big chunks. Uh, So if you have a good study Bible, you can look at an outline at the beginning, and oftentimes it will give you, oh, this oracle is chapters one through six, and then you can read it, and it really does help understanding. Otherwise, you might feel lost in the wilderness if you're reading one oracle over six settings. Uh, You're you're probably not going to be able to find the flow of what's going on. And then the last thing I'll say before we sign off here is when it comes to the prophecies, and Brian just mentioned this. Uh, It's sometimes difficult because those prophecies were intended for a particular setting in a particular time. But in a similar way that we argued for the continued use of the law, we can use those prophecies, whether they're against Israel or against other nations, and find uh, an incredible value for ourselves as we read about what pleased God and what displeased God, as we read about the response that he wants when people are caught in sin. Uh, those things are still helpful and still applicable to us. So get into the prophets. It's a, it's an amazing section of scripture. And, uh, and we hope that you have now a better understanding of who the prophets were and what they did. Uh, Dr. Brian, do you have anything you want to add before we sign off? Uh, just echoing those words. I think the prophets are a very important part of the Old Testament story. They are very illustrative of God's desire for his people of how life can be messy and is not perfect. We've talked about this numerous times in the old Testament. None of these people are floating on clouds. And if you want to get into the nitty gritty of broken life and trying to find your way through it, I think the prophets are an interesting vantage point in that. Uh, We mentioned in passing Johannes Lindblom prophecy in ancient Israel is a good book. Abram Herschel has a book on the prophets. Um, I would highly encourage you, as Dr. Tim said, though, get in and just start reading them. Read the books in a single setting if you can, or at least oracles in a single setting. Uh, and and kind of let the, the words, the images, the ideas that the prophets speak with, uh, let them resonate with you. 
meditate upon them. See how God was pursuing his people and how he still pursues us even to today. And I think a lot of truth will kind of come up and bubble up to the surface that will be of value to you. Yeah, well, thank you, Dr. Brian. And thank you for uh, giving the time today to record another podcast. And uh, listeners, we're thankful for you as well. We hope this is beneficial to you. And uh, I hope that you join us next week. And until then, stay cool and stay old.